I want to share some simple things with you tonight. They're so simple, I hope nobody misses it. Uh, I think it was Charles Capps said, The Word of God is so simple, you have to have somebody to help you misunderstand it. <laughs> Amen? And that's the truth. And most of us have been helped very well to misunderstand it. So, you've got to know what to do when you pray for something and you don't see a manifestation. I had somebody writing in off of our radio program and they said, I enjoy these other preachers and I really get a lot out of them. He says, you're the only one who ever told me what to do when it didn't work. <laughs> and I took that as a compliment, amen. I really did because whether, I don't know how long you've lived, but uh, everybody that I've talked to has tried the faith principles one time or another and they didn't seem to work. And they don't know what to do then. And so it's important that you learn what to do when you pray and you can't see your manifestation. It doesn't look like things are working. So that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. First of all, out of Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, it says that if you ask, you receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Now, some people say, well, you have to pray if it be thy will. That's not true. You do not have to pray if it be thy will. You can't find that scripturally in the Bible. Somebody, well, wait a minute. Jesus prayed, Lord, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. He did not. Did you know that? That's not the correct words. He said, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He was not throwing his prayer up and saying, uh, Lord, here it is. If you want it, answer it. If you don't, I'll take whatever comes. Right? That's not the way that he prayed that prayer. I heard a, somebody talking about the way they received the offering. And the guy gave his tithe to the Lord, and the way he did it, he got the money and he threw it up in the air and he told the Lord to take what he wanted and anything fell back down to the floor, he'd keep. <laughs> well, that's the way some people give their prayers to the Lord. They throw it up, Lord, if it be your will, let it happen. And if the Lord does something with it, then fine. If he doesn't, well, it wasn't God's will. That's not the way that you pray. When the Lord said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, he knew what God's will was. He was just saying, Lord, I hate it so much. I don't want to be sin, and yet I want to accomplish your will. If there's any other will, let it be, any other way, let it be done that way. But nevertheless, he said, I submit myself to you. Not my will, but your will be done. That wasn't an if question, and it didn't have a question mark on the end. It was a statement of faith, and to prove it, he got up immediately, and he went and told his disciples, the feet of them that betray me are at hand. Let us go hence. We can know the will of God. The Word of God is the will of God, and brothers and sisters, you do not have to wonder what is God's will. I know what God's will is. Somebody say, oh, now, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, Neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. Let's look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And somebody says, see, that's what I mean. You just can't know the will of God. Your eyes never seen, your little old peanut brain can't perceive the things of God. But the next verse says, But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. Amen. All that's saying is with your carnal mind, you can't perceive God. You can't understand God's will with your carnal mind. But bless the Lord, you are not a carnal mind any longer. You are a spiritual man if you've been birthed into Christ. And your spiritual man knows the will of God. And you can even train your carnal mind through the Word of God to know the will of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. 
We can do that. God has revealed these things unto us by His Spirit, and we know what God's will is. And so when God says, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers, and you come along and pray, Lord, heal me if it be thy will. That's a total statement that is in opposition to God's Word, and you aren't going to receive things from God praying contrary to God's Word. So you've got to learn the laws because God has established His kingdom on unchangeable laws and you've got to learn what they are. So when God says in His Word, I will prosper you, if I was to tell this brother, if the Lord was to come down in an audible voice and say, I wish above everything else tonight that you prosper and that you be healed, wouldn't that be exciting? And then that brother gets up and says, Oh Lord, will you heal me? Will you heal me? He'd just wipe out the whole thing. And brothers and sisters, you may not know it, but this word right here is more sure than an audible voice of God. You know, when I prophesy to people a lot of time, I minister scriptures and tell them things that they could have got straight out of God's word and that they have read, but that most of us read the word and say, you know, I wish the Lord had talked to me. And this is the most powerful form of God talking to us at Arius. But when somebody will verbalize it and lay hands on you and get a little excited... Most people put their faith because they believe that I really believed it. Amen? So they'll believe it because they got confidence that I believed it. You need to get to the point that you believe God's Word because it says it. And I won't take time to turn to it, but you can look up over in First Peter. Excuse me, not First Peter. It'd be Second Peter. Chapter 1, I believe it's verse 20, where he was saying, the things that we've spoken to you, they aren't cunningly devised fables. We didn't do it through our own imagination, but we heard the audible voice of God come out of heaven and say, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Now, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? But then the next verse says, But we have a more sure word of prophecy than this, whereunto you do well, that you take heed unto it as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart, knowing this, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. The more sure word of prophecy than the audible voice of God is the written word of God. Man, if somebody was to come and if a booming voice came, if it burned up everything in here and spoke something, and if it violated the word of God, I'd jump up and rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Amen? <laughs> And if the Lord spoke something to me, I could be more established on what the written Word of God says than upon a dream, a vision, a revelation, the audible voice of God. That's a more sure word of prophecy. Somebody's saying, well, are you against visions and dreams? No, I'm not against them. I've had them, but did you know that God's visions and dreams reestablish me and confirm God's Word to me? God doesn't give you revelation that's contrary to this. I got a guy over here in Arlington, Texas that I used to know. Praise God, I can say I'm not a real close acquaintance to him right now. But he travels all over the place. I've seen him up there in Colorado. And he got me over here at Arlington one day and he thought I was in agreement with him. So he pulled me aside and showed me all the books that he had written. And as I looked at him, he said, after the body of Christ leaves during the tribulation, my books are going to be the Bible. They're inspired writings and they're going to be able to carry the people through the tribulation period. Now, brothers and sisters, that's not God. God doesn't give anything that's in violation to this word and he's not adding to it. He will confirm it and you can take a person's book and read something good and say, praise God, but you go back to God's word to anchor it down because this is a more sure word of prophecy. Amen? I got off on that because somebody needed that. 
But when you pray, you've got to pray according to God's will. So when it says, ask and you shall be given you, you don't have to pray, Lord, if it be thy will, because we know God's will. Now, if there's something you don't know God's will on, pray James, the first chapter, verse 5. It says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Let him ask in faith. If you don't know, pray that, get wisdom, find God's will, and then pray the word. Don't you ever put a prayer out and say, Lord, I don't know what to do. Just do whatever you want to. You need to nail your prayers down. Now, you need to watch being so specific that you tell the Lord how to do it. Because I promise you, the Lord can do it a lot better than you can, and don't you give him too many options. <laughs> I had a guy that really taught me one of the most powerful lessons I ever learned. The guy is only six months old in the Lord. He is living in California, and he went to Oklahoma Baptist University, Shawnee, Oklahoma. He prayed about it, and that's where God told him to go. And then six months later, God told him to leave there and come to Seagaville, Texas, where I was ministering, and sit under the Word and get established. And he said, something's wrong. He says, I hadn't even been here six months. I got a scholarship and all of these things. And he said, I know God told me to come, and now God's telling me to go. And he struggled with it and struggled with it. And he said, now what happened? Did I miss the Lord? But then every time he think about it, he says, no, I know God told me to come to Oklahoma Baptist University. And finally, as he was praying about it, the Lord spoke to him one day, and he said, John, out of the two choices you gave me, Berkeley or OBU, he said, OBU is the better of the two. <laughs> He says, if you'd have asked my will in the first place, I'd have told you. Now, that's true. And brothers and sisters, that happens to a lot of us. We sit here and say, Lord, do you want me to do this or do you want me to do that? Now, what's he going to answer? He may not want you to do any of that stuff. Amen. You need to get hold of God's Word and go to praying God's Word and not just shoot a scattershot prayer out there and let the Lord answer however He wants to. You need to, you know, get some specifics, but yet don't tell Him how to do it. Keep yourself open. But the point I'm making through this is that you don't pray if it be thy will. That is not a scriptural prayer. You pray God's Word and you know God's will. Then when you speak it, you believe you've got it and you make hell move if you have to to make that thing come to pass. Amen? Now, that's a scriptural attitude in prayer. And so when it says, ask and you shall receive, the reason most people aren't receiving is because they say, Lord, I've asked. It's your turn. No, it's not. It's your turn to believe, to confess, to act, and for you to make it come to pass. Now, when I say that, don't anybody take me wrong. It's not your carnal person, your flesh that's making it come to pass, but you have spiritual power and spiritual weapons, and if you don't exercise them, and do what the Scripture says, God's power cannot move in your behalf. We talked about that last night, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, that now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. If your prayers are not manifesting, it's not God that's not moving, it's the fact that we have not taken it in faith and moved and believed and stepped out and made those things come to pass. Amen? When you pray for healing, don't say, well, I prayed for healing. I'm waiting on God. No, God's waiting on you to believe that you're healed, to get up and begin to confess it. Make your body start acting healed. And I could give you thousands and thousands of testimonies. I'm sure a lot of y'all could. About times where Satan's jumped on me. Stan was telling me last night that he's walked around that lake hurting so bad he couldn't hardly see straight, just walking and praying until his body submitted to what he believed. And I've done the same thing. I hurt my back the night I was going to get licensed and ordained to preach the gospel. The night before, I hurt my back and fell flat on my back. And Joshua at that time was just about a year old. And he was standing out there just looking at me. 
And I couldn't even breathe. My back hurt so bad. And I was saying, Josh, I was trying to whisper, Joshua, go get Mama. And he was just looking at me and laughing and talking and saying, Mama, Mama. <laughs> so finally, she came out to check on me. And there I was laying on the ground and my loving wife. She walked up and said, what are you doing laying on the ground? <laughs> Says, get up, get up. So I started whispering and she bent over and I said, I can't get up. I hurt too bad. And so she lifted me up, jerked me up, hurt me all over. And she said, you, you act on your faith. And, I, and so I said, pray for me. So she prayed for me. And boy, I was hurting and I don't know what happened. See, I don't go to the doctor to find out what the devil's fighting me with Amen. and give him more ammunition to fight me with. Amen. I don't do that. I don't know what was wrong with me, but something was wrong. I hurt so bad and my shoulders were thrown back just like this. I couldn't stand up. I got up against the wall and tried to push myself, and I couldn't. I was just like this. I couldn't control it. My shoulder blades were touching. So I went in the house, and that was about noon, and until noon, until 8 o'clock. I exercised. I moved. I bent. I did everything, and I cried. I hurt so bad. But I exercised until about 8 o'clock at night. I could move in any direction. Before that, I couldn't bend at all. By 8 o'clock, I could move in any direction. But I, my shoulders were still like this. And so I went to bed believing God that I was healed and confessing that I was healed. When I got up in the morning, I wouldn't have any pain. I slept all night long, didn't have any problems. When I got up, I jumped out of bed and my shoulders went just like that. <laughs> and I was still having tremendous pain, but I, I could still move. And so I, we were going to go have that ordination, and I could just see myself up there saying, Praise God, I'm baptized in the Holy Ghost and believe in healing. Amen. <laughs> And so I was just about to think, well, it's true whether I believe it or not. And I could just picture myself doing that. And as I was washing my hair, I started to bend over in the bathtub and wash my hair. And when I did, that was the worst position to put my neck down. Boy, it hurt something fierce. And I started to say, oh, I better lay down backwards and let Jamie wash my hair or something. And about the time I decided, I said, bless God, that's lie. I'm healed and I'm going to act like I'm healed. And I bent my head over and I got the praying in tongues at the top of my lungs and washing my hair. And somewhere between the first and the second rinse, all my pain left. Amen. <laughs> I don't even remember when it was, but I remember all of a sudden I was healed. And somebody might say, well, that's terrible. You had to fight nearly 24 hours. Yeah, and if I hadn't fought that 24 hours, I'd have been in traction. I'd been fighting for years and years. And you can ask some of these folks that I've helped lift things and load. Ivan right here, my back's in good shape, amen. I can lift anything that I'm supposed to lift. I hadn't got any damage to it because I believed God. And it came because I acted on it. I could have sat there and said, Lord, I prayed you do something, and I'd have still been like this, amen. It was my turn to believe God and to act on it and to make those things come to pass through God's power. It's His power and anointing, but it's in me. And if I don't use it, God won't use it. God can't use it. God's not going to make you start bending over. Amen. God's not going to make you start acting on your faith. God's not going to kick you out of bed. You're the one that's got authority over that body, and you make this body do what you tell it to. Don't you do what your body tells you to do. Most of us led around by the nose. Our body just leads us wherever it wants to go. I'm tired. Well, better not read the Bible. I really had a hard day at work. I need to unwind in front of the boob tube. And it just pulls you over and throws you in the chair. You need to start taking some authority over your body and you need to tell your body what to do. And you need to push away from the table. Amen. I'm glad to hear there was a lady here tonight saying that they've been on a four-day crash diet, amen, and they're sticking with it. 
<laughs> She's hiding right at the moment. <laughs> That's good because, brothers and sisters, did you know that shows you that you don't discipline your body, that your body runs you and you don't run your body? Now, I hadn't got that much room to speak, but I'm better than I used to be. Amen. And I'm still working on it. I'm not perfect. I ate a bundle of pecans today that I shouldn't have eaten. Amen. But, amen, I'm forgiven. I'm not condemned and I'm getting stronger. But you need to learn to discipline this body and make this body obey you instead of you obeying your body. All right, so anyway, y'all are hard to stay on the same subject with. Y'all need a lot of things. I get to talking and I get off on something else. All right, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. When you ask, you receive. You don't have to pray, Lord, if it be thy will. The only thing you have to do is to know God's will. You've got to base your prayer on the Word of God. The Scripture does say out of James chapter 4, verse 2, that you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. And there's a lot of Christians today that hear a minister get up and quote a lot of these faith stories. Amen. And they're good. They build your faith. But did you know most ministers don't tell you that they had nine defeats for every one victory they had. They don't tell you all that kind of stuff. So it leaves you with the impression, praise God, I can go out here and I'm going to believe for a $300,000 house. Which is fine if you need a $300,000 house, but did you know most of you couldn't take care of it if you had it? You'd have to hire a maid and you hadn't got enough faith to believe for the maid. <laughs> you never believe for a 10-cent phone call, not 20-cent phone call nowadays, and you're going to go to believing for $100,000. You need to start where you are. It's a quarter here, isn't it? It's 20 cents in Colorado. Y'all ought to move to Colorado. So you've got to base it on God's Word. There's a lot of people saying, Lord, I want to be an evangelist. I want to go around and minister. And God called you to be a prayer warrior. And you are not basing your prayer upon God's Word. You're asking amiss, trying to consume it upon your own lust so that you can get all the glory and the praise. Amen. Anybody thinks there's some glory and praise in ministering Word? They're true. It is. It's the most glorious calling. You couldn't make me do anything else. But brothers and sisters, I tell you, before you ever reach a place where you start seeing results, you go through more torment and more problems than most of you could ever imagine. I guarantee anybody that thinks ministering the Word is a glorious thing, it is on one hand, but they just have not sat down and thought it out. Amen. You're asking amiss so that you can consume it upon your own lust. You need to find and base it on God's Word. But when you ask something according to God's Word, every time you ask, you receive. Every time you seek, you find. Every time you knock, it is opened unto you. Somebody might say, but now wait a minute. I can remember some times that I asked for something and I didn't receive. What I want you to see is that this physical realm is not the only realm that there is. Most of us are looking around here tonight and saying, well, you know, there wasn't too much going on. There's I don't know how many people here or whatever, and we look at the carnal things. But if you could see into the spiritual realm, brothers and sisters, there are multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of angelic beings in this place tonight doing business, touching people's hearts, applying the Word of God. The Holy Ghost is here. The Shekinah glory of God is in this place tonight just as strong as it was in the tabernacle in the Old Covenant today, stronger. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says what we've got makes the old covenant look like it had no glory in comparison. Man, there is tremendous things going on in here that most of us can't perceive because most of us only think in the physical realm. But there's a whole other realm, and that's the spiritual realm. 
And everything that you're going to receive from God happens in the spiritual realm before you see it in the physical realm. So when the Word says, ask and you shall receive, what I want you to see that in the spiritual realm, the moment you ask, boy, the power of God goes to work and your answer is being made manifest. The angels of God are ministering. The Holy Ghost is loose. God's spoken the Word. It's going. But a lot of people, because they refuse to believe that when they ask, they receive, because they aren't spiritually minded, they aren't minding themselves according to the Word of God, they're going by what they can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel because of it. When they don't see their answer, they say, why didn't it work? The moment you do, God's power stops. All of the angels of God stops. All of the answers stop. And you wonder, why didn't it work? And the whole time it was working, brothers and sisters. God was moving, but you've got to realize that there's some things God has to deal with to bring your answers to pass. Somebody might say, but wait a minute, God's God. He can do whatever He wants to. God's not going to run over somebody's will, especially, especially when you're praying for another person. This is something that a lot of people have never realized. When you're praying for another person, God is not going to come down and because you prayed something, hit them and make them obey your prayer. You have no right and authority to dominate another person's will. And there's a lot of people that have misapplied Mark chapter 11, verse 24, which I preach and teach and believe in totally. Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. I believe in that with all of my heart and I teach it, but it says whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, you believe that you receive them and you shall have them, not they shall have what you desire them to have. Amen? That's applying to you. You can't sit there and say for this person, well, I pray for them. It's my desire that they be healed. Pray and you command it and stand up and tell everybody they're healed whether they want it or not. It worked. I got my answers right now. You can't base it on Mark 11:24 because that's not what that scripture says. You do not have authority over another person and you can't make them obey your prayer. When you're praying for another person, you've got to operate in intercession and realize that God's going to have to deal with their will. God is going to have to deal with them gently. If God was to come down and take away their will, He'd also take away their right to salvation because no robots can believe God for salvation. Only people that have the freedom of choice. If God took away that will, He'd took away their, they'd take away their opportunity for receiving Jesus. He doesn't do that. So you need to realize some of these things, amen? When you're praying, there is a time, there are things that God has to deal with to bring your prayer into manifestation. Now, there's millions of things you could spend weeks and weeks teaching on hindrances to prayer. A lot of people don't know that your prayers can be hindered, but the Bible says they can. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says that if you husbands don't render, render to your wife due benevolence, benevolence means charitable acts, not what you owe them or what you've got to give them. If you don't render due benevolence to your wife, your prayers will be hindered. Some people say, I've prayed, why in my prayers were Well, if you get strife in your home, you and your wife got a cold war going, <laughs> or a hot one. <laughs> if you got that going, you can tell right there, Satan's hindering your prayers. Your prayers are going to take a while to get answered, if they get answered. There are hindrances. We haven't got time to go into all the hindrances, but I want you to see that there are things that God has to deal with and bring it to pass. Just because you don't see a manifestation is no indication that God is not moved. The Scripture shows us what is happening in the spiritual realm. John chapter 6, verse 63 says, 
The flesh profits, the, it is the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. If you want to know what's happening in the spiritual realm, look in God's Word, amen. Don't get a peep stone or a crystal ball or a necromancer or anybody like that, and don't sit back and go to asking for visions. Now, if a vision comes, fine, receive it. I'm not against those things, but I'm saying, if you want to see into the spiritual realm, get God's Word and read and find out what God said He was doing and go to believe in it because God's Word spoke it to you. And when God says that when you ask, you receive, right there's your answer. And say, I asked and I know I received. I know God's moving and I know it's coming to pass. I refuse to move by what I feel like, by what the situation looks like. What anybody tells me, God said he gave and God gave. I don't believe he lied to me. Numbers chapter 23 verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not bring it to pass? God doesn't lie. And if you'll take that in context, that was Balaam, a soothsayer, that said that. He tried to curse the children of Israel. Three times he tried to curse the children of Israel, and he couldn't do it because God stopped him. And the second time he came back and he told Balaam, I mean Balak, he said, I can't curse him. God's not a man that he should lie. God's blessed him, and I cannot reverse it. The Gene Dixon of his day couldn't reverse the blessings of God. Amen. Edgar Cayce of his day couldn't stop the blessings of God. And it goes on to say in the next verse, God hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob. Boy, that ought to bless you if anything does. Those old stiff-necked, hard-nosed people that blasphemed God and griped and grumbled and complained and wanted to go back to Egypt and all of these things, yet when, when an enemy came against them and began to accuse them, God said, I hadn't even beheld iniquity in Jacob. God hadn't beheld any iniquity in you either. I'm not saying that you may not have some. I'm not saying that you may not have fallen short, but if you fall short, it's Satan that's taking advantage of you. God's not beholding it. God's not imputing that sin unto you. Hebrews chapter 8 says, Your sins and iniquities I'll remember no more. Satan remembers them. Satan's blowing them up to you and telling you you can't receive, and God's saying, What sins? Amen. You're the one that's holding yourself back. But you see, God, the Word of God shows us what God is doing in the spiritual realm. And the Word says that we receive when we pray. Now, what are you going to believe? Are you going to believe that you received your prayer? Are you going to be able, through the Word of God, to sit down and see the angels of God ministering for you, see your prayer coming to pass? Or are you going to sit down and lock into the natural and say, I cannot believe for something I can't see? You've got the choice, and you can make the choice, and whichever one you choose is the one that's going to dominate your life. Amen? And you can believe for things that you can't see. You all believe for things that you can't see. Continually, 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 every day. Amen? You don't understand salvation, really, but you believe for it. We're still learning about salvation. You can believe for things that you cannot see. That's the supernatural faith and the ability of God. So you've got to get yourself to where you're looking in the spiritual realm and you're beholding what Jesus is doing, what God's Word says He's doing, and you are not dominated by what you see. Amen? And brothers and sisters, every time you ask, you receive. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. You ought to look these scriptures up if you don't know them. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, it says, And this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything 
according to his will, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've desired of him. Boy, that's a strong statement. I have a confidence that when I ask anything according to the will of God, which is the word of God, I know he hears me. And when I know he hears me, I know that whatsoever I ask, I have that petition that I've desired of him. And I don't have to go by what it looks like. Amen? Now let's take an example of this over in Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9, I want to show you the principle that we're talking about. This is an instance where Daniel began to pray to the Lord and ask the Lord for some instruction and wisdom on some Old Testament scripture out of Jeremiah. And in verse 3, Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, it says, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said... So in verse 4, he begins to list his prayer and tell you exactly what he said. And then in verse 21, it says, Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. So Daniel prayed a prayer. It, if you'll read it, it couldn't take over at the most three minutes, even if you're a slow reader. And in less than three minutes' time, Daniel's prayer was answered and when Gabriel appeared and said, I came, he even said that at the very beginning of his supplications, God sent the commandment and he came. So it took a three-minute manifestation. Now, there was a time element involved. There is a time element involved to every prayer, whether it's a split second or whether it's a year. There is a time element involved. But I want you to see that this instance took three minutes for him to receive his answer to prayer and to get his instruction. And then I want to take the same man in the 10th chapter of the book of Daniel, and this is after this first prayer. If anything, Daniel ought to be stronger in prayer instead of weaker. The reason I'm using the same man is to show you that it wasn't a different person, one person praying in faith and another one praying in unbelief. Daniel prayed a second prayer, and in chapter 10 in verse 2 it says, In those days I... Daniel was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And anyway, as you read it, you find out that during these three weeks, 21 days, he was praying and fasting and afflicting himself, again, seeking God for wisdom and revelation. And then in the 10th verse, it says, And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees. Verse 4 tells you that it happened on the 21st day of his seeking the Lord. And in verse 11, it says, He said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. Now see, I want you to see that Daniel received his first answer to prayer in three minutes, and the angel told him when he came, he said, the very first word I was sent took three minutes. The second time, it took 21 days, but yet Gabriel, when he appeared, said, 
I am come, and the very first day that you begin to set yourself to chasing yourself and seek your God, God sent me, and I am come for your word. Boy, that's a blessing. God was not the problem. Now, this is what you need to grab hold of when you're answering some of these questions about prayer. God is not the one that delays your answers to prayer. God is not the one that's got the timetable set for when your prayer gets answered. God is not the one that's holding out on you. With, let me say, a few exceptions, there may be a time element, like say, for instance, I can take my own life. I prayed, God, I want to be used. And I, the Lord showed me that I was supposed to be ministering to people, and I'd hold a meeting, and they'd stay away from my meetings by the droves. Amen. And I couldn't understand what was going on. Well, now, there was a time there because the Scripture says that I have to be proven first, that I have to study to show myself approved. I wasn't to a point where I could start ministering yet, so there was a time element, and God's Word was the thing that was holding it back because I wasn't full enough of it. I hadn't fulfilled the requirements. Now, there are time elements on things like that. But say, for instance, like a prayer for healing, it is not God that makes that thing wait for a week to come to pass. It's not God that makes it wait a month to come to pass or a year. When you're praying for finances, it's not God that holds it up. Now, there are other things that can enter into this. The law of sowing and reaping that says, Whatsoever you sow, that shall you also reap. Give and it shall be given unto you. There's a lot of people praying, Lord, I'm waiting for my ship to come in and you never sent one out. Right? <laughs> You're sitting there looking and waiting on your ship to come in and you've never given in the first place. You're the one that places the time limit on you because there is a due season to reap. And if you have not been given and planting in advance, then you're the one that's going to make it a long harvest because you waited until you had your problem before you started planting your crop. The way to live in prosperity is right now. Give, give, give like you are in dire need. Amen. And then when you get in dire need, you'll already have a crop. Go out and harvest the thing. Most Christians wait until they got their problem and then they start praying. You're ten steps behind the devil. And with the Holy Ghost, we ought to be ahead of the devil. We ought to be able to pray about things months before they come to pass. Let God show you and you ought to never be behind. Amen? So with few exceptions, there, the time that it takes for our prayer to be answered, it's not God that's doing it. It's Satan and it's us that's allowing it. You're healing. Jesus is our example and Jesus never took very long to heal anybody. The longest time period that it ever took for a healing to manifest itself was not over an hour. It may have been less than that, but that's when he talked talk to those ten lepers that wanted to be healed and he said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, I don't know how long it took, but say an hour, maybe two hours or something, but it's a very short period from the time they left him before they could get to the priest, they were healed. That's the longest time element involved in a healing. Now, am I denying that a healing comes slow? Am I saying that you're wrong? No, I'm not saying you're wrong. Amen? You aren't wrong. If you get healed at all, you're doing good. If it takes you five months, praise God and shout and rejoice that it, you got it at all, amen, because you've defied the laws of nature. You've put God's Word into effect, and I'm just praising God that it's working at all. But I'm saying I'm realizing the reason it took five months was because I was so puny in faith, not because of God. God will bring things into quick manifestation when you get hold of the Word of God and begin to use it. Amen? Now, don't feel condemned if it takes you a while to receive a healing. You need to learn where you are and you need not to be impatient and grow and get with it. But you also need to get enough of the Word that you don't get complacent where you are 
and just be satisfied to let a healing take 10 months to come to pass because what happens if you got a nine-month terminal disease and you got 10-month faith? You're going to wind up on the short end of the stick. It's not God that makes those things drag out. We aren't waiting on God to heal us. It's exactly the same with Daniel. God is no respecter of persons. The moment you pray, God moves. It's up to us. How much faith are you going to release? What are you doing to bring the power of God into manifestation? We're the ones that have the control over that. Amen? Boy, it's important that you see that. It's vitally, vitally, vitally important. Because I find a lot of Christians that hear the faith they pray, they ask, they believe, and they're sitting and waiting on God. And you're going to rot waiting on God because God's not the one who's behind. We're the ones that's behind. God's waiting on us to catch up, to get with it, to take what He said in His Word and to put it into practice and to get with it and go. And a person that's sitting down waiting on God is going to get left behind. You need to find out, praise God, that it's already done. It is already done. So our prayer gets answered the moment we pray. God moves, but then there's things that you have to do to bring it into manifestation. Let's keep reading in Daniel chapter 10. Verse 13 says, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia, this is Gabriel speaking, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now, the prince of Persia that he's talking about that stood against him, is, it's just talking about a demonic power. The same thing is used in Ezekiel chapter 28, talking about Satan. And again, in Isaiah chapter 14, it talks about the prince of Babylon, and it just calls him by name later on down in there. It calls him Satan, the Lucifer, the son of the morning, the anointed cherub that covers. And so this is a personification. It's not talking about the literal man that's behind Persia, but the demonic power that runs that nation. Now, what if Daniel had have wavered and on the 20th day says, Well, I don't like it. I prayed in three minutes I got my answer. And this time I've been fasting and I've been mourning and I've been afflicting myself. It's been 20 days and I hadn't even got the faintest word from God. I quit. If he'd have quit... He would have stopped the power of God and he wouldn't have received and he wouldn't have known how close he was to receiving. And brothers and sisters, there are some of you that have prayed and asked and believed for something and the struggle's been hard and you've been just, I can't stand it any longer. And you were right on the edge of victory. God's power had been mounting up and building. God had been moving and God was fixing to put you over and you stopped because you got tired. Matter of fact, I can say this. When you reach the point where you can't stand one more minute, then stand two minutes, amen, because 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Now, there's very few limitations that God puts on the devil because he gave you a free will and he gave you authority over the devil. But in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there is something the Lord said. He said, there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear when you reach the point that it is literally unbearable and you've given it everything you've got, you're at victory point, amen? amen? Because if you can't stand one minute longer, then that means even if your knowledge of the Word and faith and everything isn't strong enough to push you over, you're going to win by the fact that you refuse to quit because God's not going to let Satan push you stronger than you can stand. Stand and man, that's it. Your resistance 
has put you over. Now, if you don't know the Word of God, your fight's going to be over a long duration because you're going to be confessing wrong, acting wrong, thinking wrong. The Word of God's where your faith comes from. You've got a low word level on the inside of you. You're going to have a low faith level and your fight is going to be prolonged and it's going to be a struggle. The ideal thing is to get saturated with God's Word, to get strong in God's Word, to renew yourself. Take your opportunities that you're giving Satan to hinder your prayers, take them away from him by acting on the Word of God. Live a holy life. Not so God will answer your prayers. God answers because you prayed in the name of Jesus. Amen. But live a holy life so that Satan can't take advantage of your actions, so that Satan can't make you carnal, so that Satan can't block you, so that you can move Satan off of your prayers. And as you begin to do those things, you shorten that time span to the point that you can pray and believe just like that. And our goal is to attain unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ Jesus to where we see no longer than an hour or two-hour manifestation for anything we ever pray for. And brothers and sisters, I'm a long way from being where I should, but I've seen this operate in my life. I can, I can now pray for things that used to would take me weeks to believe for. They don't even take the batten of an eye. And it's not because God changed. Amen? It's because when I first believed, I was shaking, my knees were knocking, I was a wishing and a hoping and a praying. And God, because I released a little squirt of faith, He blessed me and helped me and I began to learn. And But I began to increase in faith and now some of those things that used to take a prolonged period of time don't take even a split second. And praise God, I don't even have to fight some of the sicknesses and problems that I used to have to fight because I just killed them. Amen? I don't have place for those things anymore. I learned how to quit allowing the devil to even come at me in a lot of ways. I can also say that when I pastored a body in Childress, Texas, we got completely outlawed by the full gospel businessmen. They said we were of the devil, and anybody that joined us had to get kicked out of the chapter. All of the churches in town boycotted us. I got blackballed, and as a result, we had about 20 people that came, and uh, I had a radio ministry there, and one of the ladies that was in our body, she was building a new house, and the carpenters were working for her one day, and I came on the radio at noon. And they got to listening to that and they started laughing and talking. Says, man, I heard about that. I got a guy that went there and they, they give away dope at that place. Says, you can go get a fix there anytime you want. And says, that's not all. They make you take off your clothes at the front door. Says, they have orgies there. And on and on and on it went. Man, they accused us of everything that you could do. So what I'm saying is nobody came to that body except the people that were genuine and sincere. You didn't get any seekers or lookers. Now, I do admit, well, that may be the wrong terminology. Huh? <laughs> I do admit that twice we had a guy come that was wanting to fix. And he was a hippie, man. We just went to preach it to him. I didn't know what he was after. And I found out later that he was waiting for us to give him some of that free dope. He didn't get in on it. But generally speaking, the only people that were in that body, we were smaller. There's only about 20 of us. We were in one accord. We had already paid a price. They had already made their decision, and as a result, you didn't have any stragglers. You didn't have any people that were coming thinking that they were being sociably acceptable by coming because you were not sociably acceptable. You were an outcast if you came. So those people were turned on and committed. And we stood together, and for a year and a half, nearly two years, we ministered the Word, and those people got as strong in the Word as I was. And we began to stand, and as a result... There's a lot of things involved in this, but 
some other things we'll be getting into about how to bring these prayers to pass in a hurry rather than letting them drag out over a prolonged period of time. We learned those things. We talked about them. And we determined that we weren't going to allow Satan to put something on somebody and see it drag on. We came into unity, and some people don't believe this, but it's the truth. And it happened there, and I've never seen it happen. I couldn't do it here. I couldn't do it anywhere else that I minister because you have to get a unity among the believers. You have to get rid of strife, and you have to get rid of division and a lot of other things. But in that situation, never one time in a year and a half time did we ever pray for one person that was not healed instantly with the manifestation. Now, that's a strong statement, but it happened. And we saw blind eyes open. We saw deaf ears, nerve deafness healed. We had a lady brought in who had had uh, arthritis for 29 years. Her hands were turned at 90-degree angles. She was on her deathbed for eight weeks. She had not had more than just spoonfuls of liquids at a time. And they said that she had less than 24 hours to live. And her family carried her in and brought her in and stood her up in front of me. And boy, just to show you how God blessed me, I was preaching on healing that night. I preached on how to receive your healing. I was singing and I had my eyes closed when they brought the lady in. I didn't see that. I never paid any attention to her. It's just like God blanked her out. When they brought her up to me, I had my head down praying. I didn't see that they had to carry her up. I put her hands in mine. I didn't notice that her hands were gnarled and turned. I didn't know what was wrong with her. I know they told me that she'd die if she didn't get prayer, and that's all I knew. So I prayed for her, and I grabbed her hands and, and put them up above her head. <laughs> and she went to crying, and everybody went to shouting. And I said, well, do what you couldn't do. And she says, I'm doing it. <laughs> and I said, you couldn't put your hands over your head? And she says, I hadn't done that in eight years. And I said, well, do something else you couldn't do. And she, she walked across the room and back. I said, you couldn't walk? She said, I hadn't walked in eight years. And that lady was totally free. I saw her pushing a grocery cart down the aisle in a supermarket not long after that. We saw a lot of miracles come to pass. I mean, it wasn't that we didn't pray for people who were terminally ill. But we saw a manifestation instantly every time because the people got committed and people that weren't committed got out. We didn't have any stragglers. Those people were believing. We were in one accord, and we learned that when we prayed, God gave. And if God didn't, if we didn't see the manifestation, it wasn't God that was holding out. It was the fact that Satan was going to fight us, and we turned our weapons on him. Now, there is a few times that we prayed for a person that didn't see anything immediate, but we kept praying and kept praying and stood sometimes till 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning until we saw that manifestation. We saw it before we let him leave. Prayed for a lady that had a swollen tooth one time, that it had a wisdom tooth pulled or something, and her jaw was swollen up and it was black and blue. And I also have this habit. I don't. I hadn't prayed enough with y'all to know this, but I believe you got to act on your faith. Whatever you couldn't do before, you've got to do. So, if a person has a headache, I'll hit you on the head, amen, <laughs> to jar your head and show you that you're healed. And did you know it'll work? Because I prayed for this lady one time that had a headache, and I prayed for her, and I said, you're healed. And she just looked at me like, oh, I'm not sure. And I just said, yes, you are. Bong! And I hit her right on the head, and she, she says, I'm healed. There's no problem. <laughs> and some people may think that's crazy, but you see what I did? This is one of the things that brings your healing into manifestation is acting on your healing. She wasn't quite to the point of acting on it, so I acted on it for her, Amen. <laughs> Well, this same lady came up with a swollen jaw that was black and blue. And every time I prayed for her, I hit her where it hurt. And so I knew that. And she came up and her jaw was swollen out and it was black and blue. And she's a little Spanish lady, Nikki De La Rosa. And uh, I prayed for her and I looked at her 
and she grinned at me like I know you're gonna hit me. So I just reached up there and patted her a little bit on the cheek and she and it hurt. Boy, she got tears in her eyes and she says, you better hit me harder, Brother Andy. So I hit her a little bit harder and did you know that that pain left and within 30 minutes all of the coloration was normal, the swelling was gone and she's totally set free. We saw some, we saw a girl who had a swollen leg one time on crutches. It was a rank unbeliever. They just brought her in. We laid hands on her and I took those crutches away and said, walk. She took a couple of steps and ran right out the door. It scared her so bad with her, with her sock on and we never did find her. They had to carry those crutches after her. It spooked that girl, but she had a sprain leg. We saw broken bones healed instantly. We saw a lot of miracles happen, and the reason I'm saying all of this is to show you that when we learned it wasn't God that was holding back and we refused to take no for an answer, the devil can't stand before you. But you've got to know, you've got to know that you know that you know that when you lay hands on somebody and believe, God moves. And if you don't see something happen, it's not God that didn't move. Amen? It's us that's missed it somewhere. We prayed for a boy one time, came from Dallas, and... Uh, I was, I was ministering on healing. We had a miracle service, and I ministered on healing. And so we asked people to come forward, and this guy was blind in one of his eyes. I forgot which one it was. So I said, praise God, we're going to believe. And I mean, I just preached on healing. There's no way out of this, and I ministered about how that you ought to be able to receive an instantaneous healing. So I kind of had myself in a bind. There wasn't any way out of that one. So he came up, and we laid hands on him, and I prayed, and I had him cover up his good eye and held my hand up and said, how many fingers do I have up? And boy, he looked around and he couldn't even see my hand. He couldn't even see light. I guess, well, he could see light. He could see light, but he couldn't see my hand. And you could just feel the fear hit the people. You could hear them all breathe and sigh, and boy, you could fear, feel, feel fear rising up. And I turned around and I said, don't you go to disbelieving on me. I said, God said he's healed. And I said, let's pray. And I got everybody up there and we laid hands on him and we started praying. And we prayed for 10 minutes. Did you know 10 minutes is a long time in a situation like that? It seemed like hours. And every once in a while, I'd stop and hold my hand up. How many fingers do I have up? And he couldn't see a thing. And there we were. And I knew God had moved. I knew God answered our prayer, but I didn't know where the problem was. So we started praying in tongues. And all of a sudden... The Lord ministered to me that he needs a creative miracle. He doesn't need to be healed. He needs something put in his eye. And so I prayed for a creative miracle and said, how many fingers do I have up? And he said, one. And boy, I said, how many? And he started telling me. And we found out after it was over that he had had his lens and his retina removed from his eye when he was a baby. He didn't have any. So God had to put some things there, amen. And you see, God had moved the whole time in response to our prayer, but we needed to get in line with it. And that boy still, his, his eyesight wasn't perfect. It was uh, coming, which was, again, I'm sure, the fact that if I was the way that I should be and if that body was the way we should be, we could have believed for the whole manifestation. But at the time, I was glad and happy to settle for the fact that he could see, amen. And any inadequacies in that is my fault. It's not God. God wants to heal perfectly. God wants to move instantly. And brothers and sisters, God moves when you pray in faith. It is not God that's holding back. It is not God that's making the delay. It's not God that's holding things off. It's us. It's Satan. And you need to get hold of God's Word in your righteous position. And you need to start bringing some things into manifestation. You're the one. We're like a spiritual transformer. Did you know it? God is a spirit. God moves in the spiritual realm. 
And you are a spiritual transformer. You are the only creature on the face of the earth that can take the spiritual power and manifest it into physical power. It's not God that takes it out of the spiritual into the physical. It's His power. It's His anointing. It's His ability, but it's at your control. Do you know there's a scripture in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 11, that says, Concerning the works of my hand, command ye me. And a lot of people just can't believe. What are you talking about? Command God. Well, now, that's not to say that you boss God and tell him, God, I'm telling you to do this. If you do that, you're wrong. But it's the same thing as like this electricity in this building. It has been piped into this building. It's been placed here. It is given at your command. And all, you're the one that commands it. You go over to the, to the switch and you turn it on. And in effect, you're commanding this electricity. If you were to call up the power company every time you wanted some electricity and say, would you please turn on the lights? We've got a meeting tonight. They'd tell you that you're crazy. It's not their turn. It's yours. They gave that electricity to you. You use it. If you don't use it, we aren't going to come out there and turn it on for you. Do you see that? And yet you aren't strong enough to generate the electricity. I dare you to put your finger in the light socket, amen, and give light to us. Now, you may get a few sparks, but you are not the one that is generating the electricity. You can't take the light bulb and put it in your hand and make it come on. Just because you are commanding the electricity does not mean that you are the originator of it and that you are the one that it's got the source that it's coming from. But regardless of who generates it and where it comes from, it's put at your command. You're commanding it. And that's what God said. God is the one. We pray, God moves, God's power is released, but then you are the one that commands it. You're the one that has the control over taking it out of the spiritual and manifest it into the physical realm. You're a spiritual transformer. Amen? Just what I'm doing tonight. See, I'm in God's Word. God's been showing me things in the Spirit. My spirit has gotten hold of it. I'm telling my mind, my mind's making my mouth speak. And as words go out, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. I'm taking spiritual power that's right here in this book and transforming it into physical anointing and physical power that'll touch a person. Amen? That's what I'm doing. I'm drawing out of the spiritual and putting it into the physical. That's what we have. Your body is one of the most important things that God ever gave you. And brothers and sisters, our actions either release God or they release the devil. Your mouth either releases God or it releases the devil. When you pray and believe for something, then put your works with your faith. Begin to act on it. And as you do, you see, God's power has already moved. And as you begin to act then your body and your actions, your confessions, your faith, your thinking process, all of those things, there's lots of things involved in this, they draw on that spiritual power and they make it into a physical anointing that will heal your body, that will deliver you, it will set you free, it will raise the dead. Amen? Now Daniel, in this instance, what he did to bring it to pass was to stand fast. And brothers and sisters, there are a lot of things that we can do. But let me also say this, that you don't know everything there is to do, and I don't either. So what are you going to do until you get perfect and until you know everything there is to know about the Word of God? You're going to act on what you do know, and when you run to the end of your rope, get in God's Word and seek for more and stand fast on what you got. And what you got will work if you'll work it perfectly. It may mean that you'll have a stronger fight than the person who knows more, but what you do know will work, maybe with more opposition, but it will work if you refuse to quit. 
Amen? So, there's times that you'll have to do just like Daniel did. Lord, I've done all I know how to do. God, give me revelation. Send me a labor across my path if there's something else I need to do. But I am not going to sit idle and I'm not going to sit back and say, well, I don't know enough. I'm going to use what i got and if I have to, I'll beat the devil to death with it. Amen? You know, at the price of gold tonight, 700 and something dollars an ounce. If I was to tell you that there was hundreds and hundreds of tons of gold in your backyard, I guarantee you'd go to doing something about it. Now, if you had one of these big old bulldozers or something or a backhoe to dig you a hole with, you would be better off. You could get it quicker and you could get the gold and sell it before the price goes down. Amen. You would have an advantage over a person. But I tell you what, if all you had was a toothpick, if you really believe that gold was down there, that toothpick would get it sooner or later. Did you know it? And there's some people that when the toothpick broke, they'd use their claws. You could get to it. You could get at it. Now, you would be hard-pressed, and it would be a lot harder on you than the person that had the equipment, but if you keep at it, you can get it without having a bulldozer or without having a backhoe. Did you know it? And if a person was to sit down and say, well, this is too hard, I'm just quitting. Well, man, I don't think many of you do that. Many of you, if you knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that it was there, you'd do what you had to do to get it out. Right? But did you know in the Christian life, there's a lot of people that because we don't know very much, we aren't very well equipped. So we try and do what a preacher says. Well, that sounds good. I'm going to try it. And you dig your little toothpick out, trying to make the Word of God work and to chase the devil off. And because you run into difficulties, you throw it away and say, I knew it didn't work. Well, it's not that it didn't work. It's the fact that you quit and that you knew too little to make it work. It may not work for you as easy as it works for me. Did you know it? Not that God's a respecter of persons, but the fact that maybe you don't know as much as I do. Maybe you know a lot more. I by no means think I got it all, amen. But there's some of you here that haven't learned some of the things God's taught me, and you're going to have a harder time working it. But that doesn't mean it won't work for you. It just simply means that you've got to get in God's Word and learn and at the same time use what you've got and use it to its fullest extent. And I can show you lots of instances where there are people that have been healed and delivered and set free and received miracles that know one-third the Word that you do, but they used what they had with all of their heart. Amen? And that'll beat the person that sits back and looks at it and thinks about it and says, well, I know what I should do, but they don't act and they don't use what they've got. You'll pass that person up if you'll use what you've got. Brothers and sisters, the early New Testament disciples, they didn't have the revelation that you and I have got. Paul didn't have as much revelation as what you and I have got. Did you know that? Somebody says, man, Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament or a lot of it. I don't know how much. Well, he had the other third that he was missing that I've got. Amen? I got more revelation than what the Apostle Paul's got. I got the benefit of everything that Paul was taught plus what other people taught. So do you. I've got the benefit, more revelation knowledge than what those people have. Plus, I've got the advantage that they had to go to a school or they had to go to synagogue and hear somebody read it once a week. I've got them, amen. I can read it every day. I can spend 10 hours a day studying the Word if I want to. Boy, we've got the advantage, brothers and sisters, but we aren't using it. You've got to take this word and you've got to meditate it. You've got to dig it. You've got to find out 
And this is what the Word's written for. The Word is written to show us how to overcome Satan in this present evil world. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Thy Word is truth. God's Word's given to us to set us free right now. You aren't going to need the sword of the Spirit in heaven because the enemies aren't in heaven or in the New Jerusalem. Amen. That's true. I've ministered that at a Bible study one time, just like what Stan was saying about the New Jerusalem, and I nearly had those people come off their pew and beat me before I got explained what I was talking about. Tell them I didn't believe I was going to heaven. <laughs> or I did, I, well, I presented it was, you aren't going to heaven, and that really raised them up. Amen? But what I'm saying is the sword of the Spirit is not going to be needed when we go to meet the Lord, because that's not where it's for. It's for our enemies right here and right now. This instruction is given to show us how to live a victorious Christian life right now. And most of us are waiting until we go to heaven to, before we know the Word. It's not going to benefit you in, in heaven. You'll know it all then automatically. You'll know all things, even as also you're known. The Word is given to us to help us live like we will with the Lord right now. Amen. And through the Word, you can take what is yours throughout all eternity and you can make it come to pass in this physical realm. You can see this same example that we're talking about tonight over in the 8th chapter of the book of Mark. Let's look at this. Mark chapter 8. Let's look in verse 22. And he cometh to Bethsaida... And they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Now, brothers and sisters, when the Word of God says something, it means something. And you need to think, why does it say these things? Why did the Lord take the blind man by the hand and lead him out of the town? This is used a number of other places where the Lord separated people before he administered to them. What's the purpose of that? Do you remember when Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead and he went and the people were weeping and he said, why do you make this ado? The, daughter, the girl isn't dead, but she sleeps. And the scripture says that they laughed him to scorn. So he put all of them out and wouldn't allow anybody to go in but the mother and the father and Peter, James, and John, I think it was, right? I'm not even sure he let Peter, James, and John in. But anyway, he let in just a select few and then he raised that girl from the dead. What's the purpose of him doing these kind of things? It's because of other people's unbelief. And a lot of people don't even know that that enters in. Other people's unbelief will hinder. That's the reason I said that I can't do tonight what I was telling you that we did in Childress, Texas because it wasn't me that was doing it. It was a group of people who were setting themselves in one accord and in agreement. And brothers and sisters, I just know that there's some people here tonight that have not put themselves in that kind of agreement and you'd be a hindrance rather than a help. Don't say that to hurt anybody. But I'm saying that that's true, that fear would rise up on the inside of you if we was to go doing some of those kind of things. Amen? So there are certain situations that you have to separate what you're praying, the person you're praying for from the multitude and you have to minister to them privately because of the unbelief of other people. Somebody say, oh, I believe if God's power is flowing, it's strong enough, it'll overcome anything. Well, it's not so. Because in Matthew chapter 13, verse 58... The scripture says that in Jesus' hometown, he, he couldn't do any mighty work save that he saved, laid his hand upon a few sick folk and healed them. And if you'll compare it with Mark chapter 6, let's look at this since it's close. Mark chapter 6 is talking about the same instance. In verse 5, 
It says, And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hand upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Not his unbelief, their unbelief. Jesus didn't operate in unbelief. And it didn't say that he didn't want to do any mighty work there. It said he could do no mighty work. That shows you it was his will to do it, and he was not free to do it because of their unbelief. Uh, the perfect, sinless Son of God operating in all of the anointing and power that God can ever bestow upon anybody could not do a miracle in the presence of unbelief. Now that ought to open up some eyes. If you understand that principle, instead of wondering why don't we see more happen, it's a miracle that we've seen anything happen as it is. Because we have come out of the dark ages. We have been riddled with unbelief. And brothers and sisters, it's nothing but the grace and the mercy of God that's let us see the things happen that has happened. So, when it said that he had to take this man apart from the multitude and let, grabbed him by the hand and took him plumb out of town, the reason for that is because of the unbelief of these people. If you look back in the 7th chapter, the 7th chapter of the book of Mark, verse 31, and again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseeched him to put his hands upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears and he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed. That means he was groaning in the spirit and saith unto him, Ephetha, that is, be open. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain, and he charged them that, he, that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more, a great deal they published it. And they were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Here's another instance where he had to take a person by the hand and lead them apart from the multitude. And he had some problems when he sighed. That's the same thing that happened over in John the 11th chapter where he groaned in himself twice before he could raise Lazarus from the dead. Anybody know why he groaned in himself? Because, Romans 8, 26, the Spirit likewise helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we are, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That's a form of intercession. The Holy Ghost was interceding through Jesus. Somebody said, now Jesus was perfect. He didn't need any intercession. He was sinless, but brothers and sisters, his physical body was not capable of performing the supernatural deeds that he did. It was not his physical body and his physical person that performed him. It was the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost, and they came through the gifts of the Holy Ghost just exactly the same as you and I have to get them. When he walked under a tree and he said, Zacchaeus, come down, for I'm going to your house today. It wasn't because he was the Son of God that he did that. He did that as an Old Testament prophet operating under the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. His physical mind did not know Zacchaeus' name. It happened because he had been praying and interceding and the Holy Ghost gave him a word of knowledge and told him that man's name. His physical mind was no more capable of calling out a man's name that you've never seen before than mine is. Even though it was sinless, it was not infinite. It was a finite mind never meant to have those kind of capabilities. So he had to have the Holy Ghost make intercession and make up for a physical body just the same as you and I do. Of course, a lot less degree because ours has been stained through sin. It's been corrupted. His was never corrupted. It was perfect, but it still was not 
spiritual. It was not capable of obtaining all of the things of God by itself. So he sighed and groaned in the spirit, let the Holy Ghost make intercession through him, spit on this man's tongue, put his finger in his ears and told him to look up and, and said, uh, Epitha, that is be open, and his ears were open. And he began to speak. You see, he had some problem. He had to take that man apart from the multitude, and even apart from the multitude, there was still a hindrance. The eighth chapter, where we just read, he had to bring this man apart from the multitude and take him all of the way out of town. Now, Jesus was a busy man. Jesus had a lot of people to minister to. Jesus didn't do that just because he wanted to go on a walk with that guy, amen? Jesus did that because he could do no mighty works because of their unbelief. So he led him out of the town, and when he had spit on his eyes, he put his hands upon him and asked him if he saw aught. Now, y'all think about this. Did Jesus wonder whether his prayer was going to be answered? Was he saying, did it work? Are you seeing anything yet? Some people would try and say that. Jesus didn't doubt that his prayer was answered. Jesus knew that he was the healer and he had power in himself so that he could raise the dead if he wanted to. He'd already done it. He had already proven that. Jesus was not asking, did it work? Are you healed? And yet he did ask, Art, do you see? Now why? Now if you grab hold of what we're talking about, this will give you some balance. I am not throwing stones at anybody, okay? Not throwing stones. But there is a time that you pray over something and you pray one time and if you, you see a person fall over dead after you lay hands on them, get up and walk away and say, I believe they're healed, amen? There's a time not to be moved by what you see, not to believe anything, amen? But there's a time not to ignore what you see, respond to it in faith. We've heard teaching about don't go by what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. And I agree with it. But a lot of people interpret that as saying, ignore what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. And that's not what the Word says. You don't go by what you see, taste, hear, smell, or feel, but don't ignore it, brothers and sisters. You've got to respond to it in faith. Now, Jesus was looking at what he could see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. But for what reason? To see if God healed him? No. He knew God had healed. But he realized there was hindrances. He had just taken this man apart from the multitude and led him all the way out of town. He knew that there was hindrances. He knew that there was unbelief. He had already been stopped in Mark the 6th chapter, verse 5. He knew that if there was unbelief, he couldn't do any mighty work. He knew there were hindrances, and he didn't ignore it and just leave that man to fight the devil on his own. Say, I prayed for you to work. Now, it would have. If that man had have never wavered, and Jesus had have never wavered, which Jesus certainly wouldn't have, that would have come into manifestation if it had taken a year or two years or three years. It would have worked if nobody had have changed because it was put in motion and faith will work until you take it off of the assignment. Faith, well, this is something a lot of people don't realize. They think that faith is a momentary squirt of something, amen. You release it and it dies two seconds after it's gone. You've got to get it right then or you miss it. But faith will work. Faith will work. Faith never dies. Once you release your faith, that faith will keep working. It'll keep producing. It'll keep bringing in miracles until you withdraw it. So God's faith would have worked eventually despite the hindrances. I don't know how long. 
It would have worked, though. But that man, would he have been able to stand in agreement? Not being able to see and go around telling people I'm healed. It's hard. It's not saying he can't do it, because like I don't, I don't know if it was last night or sometime I told you about the man who was healed that uh, he couldn't even see light. He held a flashlight up to his eye and he couldn't even see light through his eye. Did I say that last night? And we prayed for him about three months ago. He couldn't even see light. And he was a hippie guy, long hair, earrings in his ears, stunk, didn't know the Lord. And I wondered about, man, what do I do? This guy doesn't know anything about the Lord. And the Lord told me, he said, just pray for him. So I was just praying for him, and I got through praying and told him, I said, Brother, I believe that your healing's going to come. And I started encouraging him to get in the Word, and he could see light. He said, I can see light. I can tell you where the lights are in this room. He started telling us. Within three weeks, he, re he rode a bicycle across town and passed a young boy on his bicycle. Amen. That's pretty good. He's seeing pretty good. He's beginning to see and get around. He's going to uh, Kenneth Hagin's Bible School. Start, should be in there now. Amen. That guy got turned on the Lord, got saved and baptized in the Holy Ghost, spoke in tongues, 90 to nothing. And three weeks later, he came back and he was beginning to see out of his glass eye. He could see light out of his glass eye too. Amen. That's a pretty good miracle. Now that guy was strong and because he got really touched by the Word, he went around and he was confessing to people the whole time he was still bumping into walls, I can see. And he could see. He came up to our Christmas banquet that we held this last year and gave a testimony. And it was candlelight in there. All of the ladies that worked for me and stuff, they thought that'd be pretty. So we had candlelight banquet, which it was. It was pretty. But that guy couldn't see anything. And he came up there to give his testimony and he was groping around in the darkness to tell people about how he was healed. And he was. He had ridden his bicycle. Good things were happening, but it's not perfect yet. It's still coming. That guy was touched in such a strong way. It doesn't matter to him. He's been bringing people to the meetings. He's been turned on witnessing to people, and he's standing. But it's hard to stand when you got your eyes telling you that. And the Lord didn't want this man to sit there and have to fall on his face trying to get back, tell everybody that he's healed. So he didn't ignore that situation. He wasn't saying, are you healed? He was saying, is there any problem? Has Satan fought you? I know God's healed you. Has Satan fought you? And when the man says, well, I can see man his trees walking, he touched him again. Did he pray the prayer the second time? No. If you ask for something twice, you've asked one of the two in unbelief. But there are different types of prayer. And you do need to continue to pray about something. Just don't go asking for the healing again because if you ask again, you didn't believe you got it the first time. I asked God for a Bible. Now, of course, I left my Bible in my car tonight and this is my wife's Bible. But I got me a Bible and I'm not asking God for a Bible anymore because I got it. If I went to asking God for a Bible, that would mean that I didn't believe I got it or either I need another one. Amen. You don't go asking for something if you really believe you got it. So you don't pray for something the second time asking for it, but you should continue to pray about something once you've asked for it. Pray with different types of prayer. There are different types of prayer. Don't go asking for it again, but praise God that you've got it. Go to interceding. Go to binding and loosening. Go get a friend and say, I'm healed, but Satan's still fighting against that healing, and I want you to stand in agreement, and Satan's hindrances are gone. Amen. That's what Jesus did. He touched that man a second time, not in unbelief, but in faith, and this time he saw all men clearly. Amen. And it worked. And brothers and sisters, we need to get hold of this principle. And when we pray for somebody, you shouldn't just let them go and say somehow or another it'll work. Now, 
Again, there's some wisdom on this because I prayed for some people last night. I can't remember who it was, but I prayed for some people and I didn't ask them anything about are you healed because, again, this is a little different situation. I've not ministered to you. I don't know where you are in the Word. And there are certain times that I won't ask a person, are you healed or manifested because I perceive that something's wrong someplace. Those people are wishing and hoping and praying and I don't have time to minister to them or something, so I'll lay hands on them and release my faith and I don't know if they're going to get strong and go on with it. I just release it and let them do with it what they can. But when I perceive that a person's operating in faith and really trying to believe, I'll make that person act on that healing. I'll stand there with them until we see the manifestation. And there's no way to do that except just through the gifts of the Spirit. But once you learn this principle, you can begin to pray for something and instead of just letting it go and let Satan come in on you and badger you and beat you for six weeks with doubt and unbelief and pain and all of these things you're trying to struggle through, you can turn some weapons on him. And you can begin to get that thing out of the spiritual realm and manifest it into the physical and, have to, and you can quit fighting a lot of those battles. Now, if you're strong enough and if you're stubborn enough to stand for a year, 21 days like Daniel or whatever, it'll work. And I'm not belittling that, but I'm saying that there's a better way. And the better way is to get in God's Word, get yourself renewed, find out your spiritual weapons and your authority, go to using them and make that thing come to pass. Bring it out of the spiritual and make it manifest itself in the physical realm. You have that authority and power. And again, let me say, you aren't going to attain to what we're talking about overnight. Some of you are going to say, bless the Lord, that's it. I'm going to get in this room and I am not leaving here until I've got everything I need. That's a good desire, but are you willing to stand on it if that means that you're going to be in that room for two weeks? What I'm telling you is what we're shooting for and it's what you need to be aiming for, but at the same time, realize where you are in your faith walk. If you're a five-year-old in faith, don't try and go out and do a 21-year-old's weightlifting exercise. There's some people that say, well, man, this means I shouldn't have to depend on Stan McGee to lay hands on me every time I'm sick. Well, you shouldn't. That's what we're shooting for, but realize where you are. Don't die sick because your faith wasn't perfected yet and you're too proud to go up and say, I need some agreement. Realize where you are and use the gifted man that God gives. Use the gifts of the Spirit. Use brothers and sisters. Use everything God's get, God given you. Amen. How are you supposed to say that? Use everything that's at your disposal. But also, don't be content to just sit there and continue to use them. Realize that you need to start exercising and getting to where you can do it on your own. Amen.